Audio magazine from KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. And I'm Emily Arnson. Emily, it's the second issue of Great Tape. I am thrilled to get this to the airwaves, and I'm also thrilled to have you here. You actually contributed to our first ever issue as a freelancer, and you're now co-hosting. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So listeners, let's review. We launched Great Tape last year. The idea came from a conversation between me and our former reporter, Justin Higginbottom. We both had been talking about what we love about audio And it turns out a lot of the weird, odd stuff we liked were pieces that didn't really have a traditional news hook or format, but just told stories about people and culture in creative ways. And we were like, okay, well, why not do this at KZMU? So we created what we've been calling an audio magazine, where each issue has a different theme that can be explored in a bunch of different ways, from profiles to music to fiction. And our theme for this issue is Hello from the Neighborhood. Of course, we have stories about neighbors, as well as the spaces and places that connect us, even in dreams. We'll also hear from the KZMU News Thai Bureau about how community radio is supporting migrants abroad. And we'll hear from folks throughout the show speaking about their unique neighborhoods, traditional and otherwise. Yeah, like the first person we'll hear from today, KJ Nielsen. He lives at the swamp on the west side of town. It's a private tract of land sort of tucked away near the sewer plant and the nature preserve. And it's where quite a few seasonal and even year-round tour guides live in vehicles and trailers. I met KJ as he was clearing out brush to make room for more camp spots. Yeah, I'm KJ Nielsen. We're here at the swamp uh, right here on the, this is the southwest corner of the property overlooking the portal. We're on the border of the uh, nature preserve. I, I don't know, we just call it the swamp. It was called the swamp when I showed up. Yeah, I mean, it was really worrisome there for a little bit when they were, when they were trying to kick us out. Yeah, oh yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> and got another spot here. This is Thor. Thor's my dog. Oh, nice. Right there. This is where I live. Got these big old cottonwood trees in the summertime. Oh, it's so nice. Wow. <laughs> Moab has always been my home, and I've tried for years and years and years to... It's not like I didn't try to like get housing or anything, but it's just next to impossible. And it, when you, you have a dog, and it just makes it ten times harder, and, and then like there just gets this like threshold point where it's like the money's not even worth the rent. And like I was just like, whatever, it's easier for me to leave out of my truck. And, but then that got really, really hard, and it just like wears on you mentally. Because before, you know, I'd always, like, I might have a spot for a week or two, but I'd be constantly moving, and I was struggling for a really, really, really long time. And this place has, like, given me a home. I was living, I've been dirtbagging living out of a car for the last seven years about. But, like, I don't know, I'm living in luxury now. The fact that this is in town has just, like, changed my life. Like, like I've been able to, like, finally progress. I am, like, leaps and bounds from where I started when I first got here. Like, it's a home. It's, like, an actual home, and I haven't had a home in such a long time.
just like the community I've began to develop, just like the friends I have and the people who I'm surrounded with. Like I never would have been possible if it wasn't for this place. In the summertime it's amazing, just like the camaraderie and everybody, I mean it's a guide camp so, and everybody like comes together and like this year was really, really awesome. Over there we have like a little area that we would have dinners at and we have the, the swamp stump and we just sit there and play um, oh, the, the nail game, you know, we hit the, we yeah. spin the hammer and smack stump, the nail into yeah. it, stump, yeah, that game. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, the wildlife. There's deer, the turkeys come here. All The turkeys will like walk in. Like there's been a couple of times where I'm just like walking around and the turkeys are in the middle of the swamp and they just kind of look at you and like, they'll just like let you walk by as long as you don't move too fast. And the deer, like the deer come in all the time. Oh my God, I went to war with the raccoons this year. They have strategies. They come in packs and they have strategies and I'm not even joking. They would come and try and raid my camper when I was asleep. No, 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 I'm not even joking. One night I'm sleeping in my hammock out here and like I hear them and they're going and my dogs start freaking out and they're like, ah, get out of here. And so like I started growling at the raccoon and it growls back at me. Yeah, and it growls back at me. Yeah. I tried to set traps and they, they didn't fall for it. They're too smart. <laughs> I'm sure there's all sorts of things that I don't see. Like I know that the DNRs told me the bears are running around here, but I mean, none of that stuff concerns me. I mean, people are what concern me. There's the most dangerous wildlife around. That's Naptec's old bus, but they can't use it anymore, and so I'm going to buy it off of them, and that'll be my new home, so, and it's really nice because uh, it has wheels, and so if things go wrong, I can try again, but better than the box in the back of my truck. <laughs>
we naturally want to tell all who will listen. Sometimes it works if the dream is interesting enough, but generally there's a river we step across when we relay our dreams, and in that river, to cross it, we shed the magnetic coating of the dream neighborhood itself. We step from the liminal into steadfast reality. We share at the risk of never communicating. Yet, sometimes share we must. As I have been prompted to speak of neighborhoods, I naturally thought of my dream locales, especially the dreams that coded my childhood, where, until I was eight, I lived on a farm in northern Utah. These particular dreams were notable because they reoccurred, sometimes nightly. There was the one about the stones, animated round brown and gray stones like the ones on Sesame Street, the ones that hummed and buzzed about, bumped into each other and formed configurations, just like they do in the dream. I'd wake up just as they'd threatened to bury me. There was the one about the cow, my siblings and I playing outside grandma's house, sunshine, red brick, a circumference that included grass, cracked cement, and 70s style boots and jeans, and the red cow come round the corner, and then the diaspora, the scattering of siblings with me left to run in place, getting nowhere. The cow come to scoop me up, less terrible than running in place, going nowhere at all. Then there was the one about the Wicked Witch of the West on her broom in the vast blue summer sky. She wrote my name in cursive, just like she'd done in the 1939 version of the film, Wizard of Oz. Instead of scrolling, Dorothy, she wrote Sherry, flipping and diving from the S to the H to the A to the R to the I. There was the one about the Beatles, or there was the one about Beatles. Actual bugs, dressed in suits, playing instruments, drums and guitars. Sometimes these beetles showed up right before I'd sleep. A strange burrow-esque, creeping, crawling crew of black antennaed rock stars. A natural response to any dream is, what does it mean? We can pick up any number of dream interpretation books to find generalized meanings. We might say that with the help of Freud, Jung... And Woodman, at least in the Western tradition, we've learned that our nightly dream world is a country unto itself, with neighborhoods, landscapes, borders, with a language that must be learned in its own right. Woodman speaks of dreams as the language of the soul, and if you don't want to wax too spiritual, perhaps it's easier to note that the dream itself, similar to the psyche, houses a glossary of terms Symbolic keys and spiral poetics equipped with syntax, keywords, sentence structures, and collective meanings. Even as, paradoxically, each dream is personal and subjective and in need of one's own personal authority and personal waking reality to even gather meaning. Some folks like this landscape. Some folks travel here regularly. Some stay long enough to learn the neighborhood. Over the years from childhood, reoccurring dreams to the dreams that came as I grew up, I came to trust these nigh ones, and they continue to make me wonder, why the stones? Could it have been the rock beds on the farm, tiny pebbles that we'd bury each other in? There was a photo with all our little heads exposed. We smiled big. 
Was that where the memory of my brother Greg still sits in real time as I've often wondered why I'd no real memories of him? He died at the age of five and a half. I was two and a half. Where the stones his burial, where the stones are playground. Was it here I might retrieve my memories? And why the cow? Was it at the age of seven my dad gave me a cow to care for, to train, to halter, and walk around the barn and prepare as a wee 4-H'er to take to the local county fair? He said, Sherry, whatever you do, don't let go of the rope. And being an earnest child, I managed to be dragged to and fro time after time with the rope still in hand. Or was the cow that image of the devil that I couldn't shake, the red devil with hooves for feet? who threatened to appear in the stall over when I'd visit the bathrooms in elementary school. Why the Wicked Witch of the West? Was she sent to portend a future when I'd slough the Mormon church for a freer version of faith? A future where I'd become the other within my community. Choices painstaking, yet the freedom exhilarating. Did she come to fortify my name, scrolling over each letter like an incantation as I found faith in myself rather than outside authority? Did she come as talisman, altar, four-leaf clover? And weren't the beetles indicative of a childhood antenna, a kid-sized psyche picking up on the static of 1973 and not my parents' tastes as they were not attuned to popular culture? A little Eiffel Tower of a self picking up sound waves, images, drops of information that set my dreams alight. And so, dear listeners, we've come to the end of our journey. Or possibly, we're at the beginning, that familiar place right before we open our eyes from sleep into morning light. This is the place of recall, fragments of Super 8 where images seduce our attention. Thank you for seeing this through. I'd offer you a kindly nudge to remember the dreams of your childhood, to see what they have to say. Here lies a personal poetry solely meant for you. That was Nigh Once, a dream travelogue, read and written by Sherry Zollinger. Carrying Her Stone is a collection of Zollinger's poems based on the works of August Rodin. Find it at Back of Beyond Books in Moab or online. Backspace supports KZMU and Great Tape's second episode, Hello from the Neighborhood. Backspace is a Moab-based fiberglass pool and spa installer specializing in low-impact residential pools and spas that are designed for the desert southwest. With solar pool heating and evaporation-reducing auto covers as standards, they can help you obtain a lower-impact leisure. Backspace prioritizes efficiency, low evaporation, and carbon offsets to boot. Reach out at 435-210-0241 or find them on Facebook at Backspace Pools Moab for more details. There are many different ways we build community and connect to other people who call this place home. Castle Valley is 22 miles up a windy river road from Moab, and it's the kind of place where you can live your whole life without necessarily knowing your neighbors. There's only about 350 people who live there, but still... 
some people don't want to ever talk to anybody else and that's why they live here and they can be also left alone. People respect that, if not admire it. Susan Roche has lived in Castle Valley for about a decade. Part of the reason she moved there is because she likes that spread out feeling. But even though a lot of folks keep to themselves, she says there's still a strong bond between residents. People in Castle Valley have always helped each other in a kind of amazing, special way that I think comes from the fact that we're so small, we're so spread out. There isn't anybody that you can call that will be there in five minutes except a neighbor. There aren't any businesses in Castle Valley. The closest grocery store is an hour's drive round trip. If you need something, need a plumber for a burst pipe, need your driveway plowed, you have to do it yourself. Or you have to know someone. That's where Roche comes in. She's in charge of putting together a contact list of people in town who have certain skills that they're willing to share. If you need help with your well, need a tree trimmed, need someone to watch your dog, you don't have to look any further than the neighbor-to-neighbor directory. The list is posted at the Castle Valley Library and on the town's website. It's quite informal, but I think it really supplements what neighbors and acquaintances and friends already do for each other. Roche hopes the list helps people ask for help. The older I get, it seems more and more important to me to see other people and to allow yourself to be seen. It's such a privilege to be able to see into somebody's heart and to have them share a need with you. And for me to have a need and to trust somebody to to ask. Speaking of Castle Valley, there are folks who still remember the place before it was an incorporated town. Ron Drake is one of them. He brings us to his neighborhood in the Castle Valley Flats. Uh, My name is Ron Drake. I live in Castle Valley. I've been here since 1978. We're going on 45 years this year. Well, we, we wanted something down here in the valley, in the flats, where The water was good. We could grow a garden and grow trees and, you know, where we kind of sustain ourselves. We had to to have a well drilled. I built a septic tank and we had built a septic system. Um, What else did we have to do? We had to bring electricity in. It was about a mile away. We we were just putting all the stuff together, so we were living in our little camper. We had a camper on our truck. We had friends, I guess we were trying to do everything as cheap as we could, so we had friends come over, and I had three or four cement mixers, and I had a pile of cement, I had a pile of sand and gravel, and I had I had about three people on each mixer, and so we mixed the slab all, all by hand. We started building our main house, and it took us 12 years to build it. We didn't want to go into debt, we just built it as we got the money. We were all poor. We were just we helped each other build, and uh, you know, just helped each other with projects. I miss the old days. I miss the old days in Moab, and I miss the old days in Castle Valley. They, it was different. Uh, we we felt close to each other. We had common goals. We were um, you know just we were like I said we were all poor, and we were just uh, helping each other and. There's still still a few of the original people around, but 
but not too many. A lot of them have moved. All the kids that grew up and moved away, and so um, we used to have two school buses in Castle Valley, and now we have a little tiny mini bus that's never full, not even half full. So the the demographics have changed a lot. The ones that moved in now are mostly retired and and older people. I'd say about half of our neighbors aren't full-time neighbors. They they live someplace else and they spend some time here. But I met most of them and, and they're all good people. They're just not here all the time. I have many good friends here, but they're it's just not the same. It, it's fine, but it's different. I think we were incorporated in 1985. We had a property owners association so we would have those POA meetings every month, and uh, everybody here has their own own individual, uh, what do you want to say, their own opinions, pretty strong opinions at times. Uh, people had their own opinions about the roads. People had their own, you know, ideas about the covenants. So usually it has something to do with the covenants or the roads, uh, something like that. And so you get get a bunch of people together and. POA meetings used to be pretty active and pretty, just sort of, just sort of violence sometimes. <laughs> but it was pretty exciting. Sometimes you you went to see a fight, and every once in a while, a property owners meeting would break out. <laughs> anyway, I, I think we're beyond all that. I think people get along pretty well now, and we're older. So we're not as we're not as opinionated, or I guess as it used to be, or something. But we don't have the energy for that anymore. <laughs> <That's very funny. laughs> I think back in those days, a lot of people in Moab didn't have very good opinion about people in Castle Valley. So I kind of wanted to change that if I could. So I approached Sam Taylor one day and asked if I could write a column and let people in Moab know that we weren't just a bunch of uh, bunch of renegades out here. Well, we weren't renegades. We were just, people called us the hippies, and we had a bunch of people who were maybe like religious zealots. And <laughs> so we were, you know, we were not really clashing, but we had different ideals. So I... I approached Sam and asked if I could if I could did I do a column and he said yes I could and I told him I didn't have I didn't have any uh, skills in that area but I could maybe come up with a good column every week and so so that's what it was just just getting people a, a better I guess a better impression about the people out here because you know, we we had great people out here we still have great people and. I want to talk about them. I think we appreciate it every day. We we have Castle Rock is right out of our window. I'm always outside looking at it. And then the rims, you know, the rim on the other side of the valley. I heard somebody say the other day that they woke up on a Sunday morning, they opened up the window and they saw the big moon just above the rim. And uh, we live in a beautiful place. and. And I think, I think we recognize that and we enjoy it every day.
Ron Drake in Castle Valley. You're listening to Great Tape, an audio magazine from KZMU News. Our theme is Hello from the Neighborhood. Community Rebuilds is a proud sponsor of KZMU's second episode of Great Tape, Hello from the Neighborhood. Community Rebuilds is a Moab nonprofit organization whose mission is to build energy-efficient housing, provide education on sustainability, and improve the housing conditions of the workforce through an affordable program. Learn more at communityrebuilds.org. So when we decided on this neighborhood theme, I started thinking about, well, what makes up a neighborhood? It seems like a good one has some central feature or gathering spot, a place to meet up a hub that can bring together a lot of different types of people. So if you consider the entire Moab community as one big neighborhood, well, where is that hub? I kind of think it's on Center Street. You know, if you want to read a book, you can just grab it and put it back back when you're done. Or like if you want to take it home, you can borrow it for free. And like, it's just a place to like calm down, be quiet, relax. That's Jonathan. I'm speaking to him in what's affectionately known as Moab's Living Room, the Grand County Public Library. The afternoon light is sending huge streaks of dappled sunshine over us as we speak. Jonathan says he's here like every other Friday. And when he walks in, it's undeniable. There's a pervasive sense of calm, like how some people feel kicking back at home. Like, just whenever I get the opportunity to, it's just... A calm, relaxing feeling that you need every once in a while. Like you can literally, like I literally feel the calm. All because there's so much green in this room. Jonathan's right. There is a lot of green in this room. Look around and plants are everywhere, helping with that calming effect. Actually, the more you spend time in the Moab library, the more you notice. There's just so much to take in, so much information to explore. I guarantee no two people are doing exactly the same thing at the same time. I know because I've asked them. It's got a fantastic collection of DVDs, and I'm big on old whodunits, black and whites from the 50s and early 60s. Um, Did you know the library has a collection of detective DVDs? Did you know that people were still checking out DVDs? And then there's people who come for the community puzzle. It's a big one, always out on the table near the front desk. People pass by, sit down with it, chip away at it. Uh, When I was down and out, they had puzzles. I put thousand piece puzzles together. So it was a godsend for me. When I didn't have any money, (laughs) I thought, well, visit to the library. Uh, Many times it has saved my life actually when I went through divorce, and so it's been my friend. This friend can help you find books, too. Maybe you introduce yourself with your earth name, Joshua, but suddenly in the philosophy section, it dissolves and you become one with the universe. Uh, When a book is needed, it will find you. I found a book here that's kind of eluded me for about six months. They had a book that I haven't been able to read. It's been really kind of like an oasis but real you know it's a desert but this is it's tangible it's i'm not hallucinating this is their books here and it's great it's not a hallucination people do so much at the library staff say they have about 500 people on average walking in and out of these doors every day 
And each one of them needs a slightly different thing. Assistant director Meg Flynn likens the library to the room of requirement. It's from a popular young adult novel, a room that changes to suit whatever particular need you might have at the moment. Like you go in there and whatever it is that you're looking for, like, do you need internet access? Do you need a recipe because you have like way too much broccoli at your house? Like, do you need to know what the phone number to the, I don't know, hospital is? Like, it just doesn't matter. Like, when you come into this space, you have a question or a need and the library will become the solution to what you're looking for. That's pretty much right there in the mission of the Grand County Public Library, a free, accessible resource that connects people, information, and ideas. Library is the place where you don't have to ever believe something or buy something to come in here and stay and enjoy the space. Everyone is welcome. It is a third space. It is the place that people go that's not home, that's not work, that is an Uh, you know, a very important part of their community. Carrie Valdez, director of the Grand County Public Library. She's worked here for at least 22 years. I know, she can't believe it either. I don't feel that old, but I must be. (laughs) Yeah, over 22 years. And while rounding the corner to her second decade at the library, Valdez said she had a life-changing experience. One that made her start questioning big things. Like, is the Moab Library as free and accessible as it claims to be? In classic, someone should write a book about this tone, Valdez says the being who ushered in these questions was an orphan dressed in a black and white tuxedo, a cat who showed up at the library and refused to leave. When he first started coming in, I was told, hey, there's a cat in the library. And I'm like, get the cat out. You can't have a cat, you know. And I told staff, don't feed him and don't name him. We don't need a cat. We can't have a cat. We're a public building. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know how you get permission to have a cat. I can't use public monies to buy cat food. Like, we, you, <laughs> you can't have a cat. You can't have a library cat. Okay, there was a lot of stress about this cat. Library staff found out that its family did indeed move away. So the cat really didn't have anywhere else to go. Heartstrings unmoved. Director Valdez doubled down and tried to level with it. The cat and I engaged in a battle of wills that took about two months, and I lost. And I explained all the reasons we couldn't have a cat, and he looked at me and he said, those are you problems, you have a cat. The whole debacle with the cat, whose name is Cosmo, by the way, and is doing just fine, he now has a featured column in the Moab Sun News, he has t-shirts and stickers with his face on them. Anyway, the whole debacle over Cosmo the cat was a big moment for her. It was one of the things that started this idea of, wait, why are we doing this? You know, why why are we doing what we're doing? Valdez went back to the mission of the library to be a free and accessible resource. She started examining that. There's this thing in, in libraries called vocational awe, and it's this idea that libraries are inherently good, and so you can't question any of what they do, right? And, and Cosmo is is the thing that, taught me that you have to question what you do. You you have to recognize that as good as public libraries are, there's systemic racism built into public libraries. And so we have to look at what we're doing and why we're doing it. And just because we've always done it that way is a really bad reason to keep doing it. Um, And and honestly, the cat is the reason (laughs) that we looked at all this. Because he said, yeah, you now have a library cat. And now go forward and be a different library. And so we're trying. So for the past five years, the Moab Library has been embracing its Cosmo era. They started with late fees, got rid of them. 
They figured the folks who can least afford the fees are the ones most affected by them. And staff didn't want people staying away from the library forever because of a lost or a late book. Late fees had to go. Next, they moved on to library cards, made it easier to get one. In the past, you might have needed a mortgage statement or some tax information. Not anymore. They made sure all residents, not just local homeowners, could easily get a library card. And they created a handy student card with the school district for local kids. Speaking of local kids, the library created the Kids Cafe. Before the Cosmo era, students would pour in after school telling staff, I'm hungry. The policy used to be, sorry kid, you're out of luck. Now, in the Cosmo era, they coordinated with the Utah Food Bank and local churches to provide snacks. They realized kids were coming to a safe space to do their homework or meet their friends while the adults in their lives were working. The library's motto around kids and snacks became, sure, let's see what we can do. Next, they turned to mobile technology. Staff wanted to make sure community members had equitable access to the internet. A few grants helped the library offer mobile hotspots and Chromebooks for checkout. Oh, I do have a story here, so I'll lower the music. Here's Valdez. We had a patron that was attending Arches Adult Education, was about ready to give up. He was trying to get his GED, was about ready to give up because he did not have internet at his house. He did not have a computer. He worked at least two, maybe even three kitchen-type jobs, dishwasher, back-of-the-house type jobs at different restaurants. And he would come to the library at 1 in the morning, because this is where the Wi-Fi was, to try to submit assignments, to take tests, to do what he needed to do to get his GED. And through a partnership with Arches Adult Education, we received a small collection of hotspots and Chromebooks. And we were able to check out to him a hotspot and a Chromebook where he could keep it with him at all times. And so in between jobs, if he was on a break, he could use the hotspot, use the Chromebook, and do his work. He brought those in at the end of the time in schooling where he had received his GED, and he was in tears. He said, thank you, I would have never gotten this GED if I had not have had this hotspot and this laptop. Um, and then later found out that he had gotten a full-time benefited job because he now had a high school equivalency that he could put on his applications. And that is a story that from that second, we will never not circulate hotspots because it had, I mean, this is a real life impact on somebody. The Grand County Public Library first opened well over a century ago in a corner of the old county courthouse. It held just a few hundred donated books. Over the years, the library moved a few times. They kept expanding and transforming alongside Grand County. And this new Cosmo era is no different. Mobile technology, kids' cafe, better library cards, eliminating late fees, not to mention extensive adult and child programming. It's all an attempt to keep growing alongside the community, getting both to where they want to be. For the library, that's to their mission, to be a free, accessible resource connecting people, information, and ideas. The hub of the Moab neighborhood. What do you like about the library? Can you tell us? Are there some really cool books? Do there really cool books and toys? I always have fun here. No, you say it. You want me to say it for you? Yeah. Well, 
my son Desmond loves coming to the library so that he can pick out cool fun books and play with cool fun toys and we just love coming to the library. Can you tell us what your favorite toys are here? Um, the dinosaurs. You like the dinosaur yes. toys? Yeah. I have a son who is going to be 18 next week, but I remember very fondly from the time he was really tiny coming to the library all the time for story hour with Miss Charlotte and then coming in he would pick out books and we had to come back every week. So now that he is uh, getting ready to go to college, <laughs> we cleaned out a lot of things and there are a bunch of books, like little kid books and series that he read when he was older that uh, we thought we should share with the next group. So that's why we're dropping them off. Sometimes I come here just cause I want a quiet spot and a comfy chair and I'll just come here and like zone out or do a puzzle. To me, it's like a warm hug when I come here. Um, it's kind of like the sticker they have. Like, I came to Moab to hike, but I stayed for the library. The library is pretty good and peace and quiet. And I like the computer. They're pretty great. And the seats are comfortable, too. And the cat keeps his company and makes his happy joy and stuff like that. I see him and I pet him. He's pretty fun to play the toys with him too and stuff like that. I get the long toy one and I move around, he try to hit it. Yeah, it's so cute. The library is actually pretty awesome. Yeah, it's very helpful. Like with, um, we come from the reservation, so we get laptops and hotspots. Especially if it's portable and it can go out of area, then that's, wow. Who would have thought of that? Well, I like the juvenile section. My sister and I are committed to reading all of the Newbery Award winners for juvenile fiction. And this library has a fantastic juvenile and children's department, so I really enjoy that part. Uh, I'm 17, turning 18 soon. Um, I've been coming here since I was 10, so it's a good place. It's just kind of become that place where I can just go to after a long day of school. <laughs> that's, that's the main part. Knowing all the older librarians, you know, that have stayed here for the last eight years that I've been coming here. It's a pretty cool thing, and I don't want to see them go. The team that they have here is so great. You know, Jesse, you know, Stephanie, uh, Tom, Tim, you know, it's the name on and on and on. The children's section, when I bring my children here, there's just so much good that we could say about the library here, and I'm so grateful for them to make you feel welcome. You know, you know that you know Cheers, that television show. Everyone, everybody knows your name. Well, this is a library. Where everyone knows your name, and they really greet you, make you feel like you're special. Voices in Moab's living room, also known as the Grand County Public Library. It's great tape from KZMU News. The theme is hello from the neighborhood. You know, sometimes it happens. Redevelopment, cost of living increases, flood, fire. These are real things that occur all over the world and also right here in Moab. Things that can make you lose your neighborhood. Moabite Brittany Tucker tells us about it. Yes, I'm Brittany Tucker. <laughs> I was born and raised here, actually. Wow, it's nothing like it used to be when I was a kid. Yeah, give me just a minute, okay? Oh my 
Um, you could run around here like nobody's business from each end of the town and nobody even batted an eye. It's tiny. It was very small. There's so much more here now compared to what it was when I was young. So much more. It's way bigger. <laughs> we ran around with all of the neighbor kids our entire lives. We knew everybody across the street, everybody down the road, everybody. And actually the um, trailer park that we lived in when our house burned down, I lived in that when I was a kid. <laughs> and I mean, most of our time was spent at the creek. <laughs> Tadpoles, crawdads, those little tiny mini frogs, the little tiny frogs. We used to bring those home and drive my mother crazy because we let them go in the yard. We so, have frogs. We do have frogs now. <laughs> So I lived in a trailer park that was getting torn down. It wasn't really a trailer park, it was like a modular and they were taking it down and we were looking for a place to live, but I have dogs and a cat and I was really stressed out about where am I gonna go that's gonna allow my pets. And my mother had gotten a lot of money um, after her dad passed away and she actually purchased the trailer for me and my family. So that was really, she was like a godsend for us. So a lot of the people up there actually have lived there since, for years. A lot of them lived there when I lived there when I was a kid. Friends, they were all friends. Everybody was friends and it was kind of a tight-knit area. You know, everybody, if you needed something, I could open my back door and holler at my neighbor Casey, like, I need eggs, you know, or do you have this tool or that tool? And it was kind of the same way, you know, he'd come knock on the back door, same with, um, Mickey in front of us, everybody. It was it was a very close neighborhood, which was awesome, awesome. Um, we were actually in our in our house when everything around us was on fire. I had no idea that it was on fire until I smelt something burning and I thought it was my dryer. So I ran over and I turned the dryer off and I'm like, it's not the dryer. And so when I opened the door, I mean, there was 20 foot flames clear around our house. All I did, my dad was just yelling at me to get my kids, just get my kids. So that's what I did. I picked all of them up, including my 15 year old that was like, I can walk. And I'm like, we're out, like, come on. It was very traumatizing. It was very traumatizing, but in that moment, I mean, people I didn't even know were coming out of nowhere with clothes and just throwing them onto my children, which was like the most grateful I've ever been. I went to my mom's and within two hours, the back of my truck was completely filled with clothing, shoes, clothes, um, toiletries. And I think people were just literally driving by and putting it in the back of my truck because I walked out and I was like, where'd that come from? Any, everything we needed in that moment, you know? Them gets all of them's clothes to us. They did, huh? We didn't go without clothes for very long, did we? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> all of the clothes. Yep. <laughs> we got in here in October, so our house burned down in June. My kids still cry to this day that they just want to go home. So for these two, they'd never moved. That was their very first that was home from the day they were born. And we had actually just remodeled it the year before because we were planning on pulling it out of there, trying to buy a piece of property and pulling it out of there until we could build. And then, yeah, yep, that sucked. <laughs> a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into it. But I think it was... Uh, 
a way of the world telling us it was time to step up. It was time to move on, which was a rough way of it happening, but we're doing very good now. I mean, just grab the spoon, grab the spoon and mix yes. it. There you go. Oh my Lord. All right, kid. Wow, okay. That's a lot of tea. That, I don't, you didn't get over half of it in there. Um, there's a lot more space around here than there was in Back Creek. We're not as close to the neighbors. You can't hear them every footstep they take, you know? All the neighbors in Pat Creek used to say, we can hear your kids running up and down the house. And I'm like, sorry. And I mean, they were never mean about it. They're just like, what is happening in there? And I'm like, they're, it's a racetrack. I don't know what to tell you. You can hear all that there. Here, you can't. You can't really hear anybody, which is odd. For us, we're like, everybody good over at the neighbor's house? You know what I mean? <laughs> Brittany Tucker on the west side, speaking about her beloved old neighborhood on the east side, the Pack Creek Campground suffered a fire in 2022. You're listening to Great Tape, an audio magazine from KZMU News. Our theme is Hello from the Neighborhood. Pete Sands is a self-described Old West nut. A Diné drifter and songwriter, he grew up in Montezuma Creek on the Navajo Nation and is now making his home in the Moab area. But for a good long time, like a lot of country western singers, Sands made his home on the road. That's where he spent a lot of his early career, wearing down certain stretches of it until they became as familiar as his own neighborhood. I've been a musician for about 10 years now, professionally. Of course, we always grew up wanting to be musicians, right? We emulate those we look up to. One day I decided to drop out of law school and pursue a music career, which is probably the craziest thing I've ever done in my life, you know? But it led me to so many different places and meeting so many different people. And it, it was before the age of social media, really. It was kind of at the cusp of it. So we still had to hit the road. You still had to sleep in Walmart parking lots and rest areas, going to different bars and dives and coffee houses and just hitting whatever you can along the way. And we didn't have a TikTok to have a platform on to sing and, you know, get all these views. You had to get out there and just do it. Road, it comes your home. It becomes your home because you start finding places where you realize Little things like if you're on the road, you got no money to stay at a place or you need a shower, you can always go to a truck stop or you can go to a hotel and you tell them, hey, if you if I clean some of your rooms, can I take a shower? So they'd be like, yeah, we can do that. Little things like that, you start to, you start to realize like this, you start to realize routes like from Santa Fe to Los Angeles, from Los Angeles up to San Francisco. You find these routes, these places in between that become your home where you feel comfortable and you find people who are good to you. So there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. Most of the times more bad than good. But, you know, it's your passion. Your passion keeps pulling you forward and it runs into people. It gives you little homes. Like now I have all these friends all over the place, all over the West Coast and to Nashville, to the East Coast, where I've played with them on stages. We've run into each other on the road. We became friends. We've had this bond for so long. And now, you know, my home is their home. So they, you, you find these little pockets of homes in between places where 
you just run into each other. You say, hey, I'm playing in your town. There's really no substitute for live music. I mean, you can watch things on apps and social media platforms, but it's nothing like you sitting on a small, crappy stage shoved in the corner of a dive bar in San Diego, and you got five drunk people listening to you, and you got one of them that's crying their eyes out because they connect with you. And that's important. The small towns are important. Moab's important. It's the small towns that really listen to you. And um, that's where I learned on the road. You know, everybody's like, you got to go to L.A., you got to go all these places. But there's so many singers, songwriters, and entertainers in those areas that you're just a small fish in a very huge pond. But if you take your heart on the road and you take it to people who listen to it, places like Moab or Durango or, you know, Flagstaff or wherever, then they will listen to you. The crowd will take their time out and listen to you, give you a chance. The vulnerability is what you're after. People being vulnerable, you know, men being vulnerable, men making themselves vulnerable, being vulnerable. And being vulnerable is probably the scariest thing in the world, male or female, or however you want to identify yourself. Vulnerability, making yourself vulnerable is like slicing yourself open. And that's scary because you don't know if, if that wound's going to heal right. Or if it's gonna leave a big scar. That's what the song that's what true songwriting is to me, is being able to open yourself and let people see inside you. But deep inside you're the one The only thing of kiss is a bottle of this own whiskey that keeps me warm. I wrote this song really fast it came to me because we were in the studio recording new music and um, everybody was late I told everybody yeah we're gonna start recording at 10 o'clock the only person that was there was myself and uh, the engineer I mean I was upset but I couldn't do anything to change it right so I was like all right I'm gonna sit here I was, I was sitting there the engineer he's just playing back the music the night before and I was like, I was playing with the guitar chords this morning. Just some words came to mind. I got a piece of paper and started writing lyrics down. And I wrote it down and I was like, dude, I think I got something here. I've always been fascinated with how sometimes it hurts more holding on than letting go. And that's what the song's about. You know, it's about a person who still holding on to that memory. The ghosts are still here. Tell them to leave me alone or just come back home. It's it's really a sad song. It's not it's not a good it's not a happy song. You know, it's about a person who's going through that depressive state of loss and heartache and not facing it. There's drowning in it. Old country songs you used to sing. I'd be lying to myself. If I don't say that I don't miss your smiling face, keep catching myself burning that sage to try to forget I'm running away. In the second verse, it's just kind of like that that goes singing with him, kind of like. 
you're not crazy. I'm still here. You know, I'm still here. I'm trying to help you let go. But you're not. You're not letting go. It's really about just making your making your way through the dark and coming out the other side of the tunnel. To let you go by telling your ghost to leave me alone, or just come on back home. probably about eight years removed now, almost a decade. So it shows the growth that I've had, personal growth. And talking about this is making me feel vulnerable. <laughs> but it's, it's important because like I can talk about it because it's, it's not who I am. It's, I mean, it was who I was at the time. It's taken on a totally different meaning. Because at the time, I didn't have my daughter. So now, you know, I have a family. I'm totally different mind space. I'm like, yeah, like now my daughter is home. She's home to me. We do it now more like a swing song where we have a violin kind of rocking, going pretty quick. It's more of a two-stepper now. I like both versions, both versions, because this one's more personal, intimate. But the way we play it now is more like, hey, man, let's rock and roll. You know, let's, let's, let's dance. <laughs> That's Pete Sands and the Drifters performing a live version of Rumble. We also heard Sands talking about his own song, Come On Home. Sands is a musician, photographer, and most recently, a podcast host. You can find his podcast, Coffee Before Honky Tonkin, on the KZMU Public Affairs feed. His latest single, Black Dog, is available across platforms now. You're listening to Great Tape, an audio magazine from KZMU News. Our theme is Hello from the Neighborhood. You know, it's a familiar dance, the Moab Shuffle. Maybe your rent goes up, or your landlord decides to sell, or you lose your job and then that great employee housing that came with it. The Moab Shuffle, of course, is moving from place to place. It can be a really tiring dance. And maybe you say enough. You see if you qualify to build your own place with the housing authority or community rebuild. It's what Didar Charles and her family did. It landed them on a very busy corner of Moab. But it's a corner that's all theirs now. Last yesterday we had a boy. Uh-uh. We have the dogs here. Come on, guys. Come on. You okay? One of them is like very old and loud. So my mom is visiting from Turkey. So she brought some dessert, some little treats, and also she bake and cook some food for us. <laughs> My name is Didar, uh, Didar Charles. I moved to Moab around like six years ago. I have been living multiple places because before I moved in Moab, I was a work and travel student. I was a maintenance person, like driving some golf carts and such. And it was a very hard job because you work under the sun. So it is a very, very hard job for everybody who works there. So I was a J1 student, so I stay in employed house. 
So I was staying at uh, this trailer park on 100 North, which right now is going to be built some townhomes. So I leave that one of the trailer park there. Before here, we also rent a trailer in the Grand Oasis before here too. So we were in there as a renter until we build this home. This neighborhood, we are at the uh, Mill Creek Drive, so it's very hard to tell like a, where is my neighborhood because we are in the right in the transition almost because we were able to call like a Tushar area which is like east of the town and this if you move around it's like a Spanish Valley maybe the La Saldra which is the county neighborhood but where we are is just on the street so who is my neighbor I would say just those four houses we are right now built by community builds that's my neighborhood and I'm so grateful be on the home because then I feel like less pressured and the owning the community built home is also I think it's much affordable than any other home in Moab so I'm very very grateful <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, busy street is hard to live on. Yeah, noise for sure. Definitely noise was the biggest challenge for our family. And the traffic, we have a kid, so I have to keep eye on my son. Like everybody's drive by is like, you know, it's like visible. You are visible there, so there is no privacy. That doesn't feel like safe or comfortable. That's why like we built a wall and we put some trees and waiting them to grow up and also I try to landscape my area to like create a like neighborhood like it's not a like you can just f drive fast as possible like if we live by here so I don't want to I don't want to be in on the backyard and the hide I want to be the front yard and people think like okay there's a life here so uh, when we complain or mention about the problem of our neighborhood usually um, I have been hearing uh, why did you decided to build there you know you knew it but sometimes you need to put yourself in other people's shoes and I just mentioned how I'm grateful for coming to rebuild home when there was not many options I you will be so grateful what you have so this was the other option I have. So, yeah, we are not, um, we don't make a million dollars with our business to able to do, yeah, make choice where to live. You know, forget about the road. We do have a creek right down our backyard, so I can hear the water, so I love that. And there are birds, and I do see a lot of, uh, you know, deers and other animals just passing by the creek. I love that. In Turkey, like uh, most of my life, I was um, growing up in a, like, a small neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So everybody knew everybody, not only one block, like uh, probably three, four blocks. So you would know who they are. That's mean like uh, everybody's eye on each other. Mm -hmm. So like, in Turkey, we do say that don't buy home 
by neighbor like not as like a purchasing but like if you have that opportunity do that and our neighbors we know who they are and they are such a great people we share driveway and see each other and talk I mean every day almost saying hi each other somehow I think the we connect very well so we share the same kind of home so when we have um, any question we can just knock next doors and say hey do you have this problem like oh yeah let me help you I have done last week or whatever so that's very nice Dinar Charles at the Mill Creek Corner Emily. Hey, Molly. So we're well over halfway through our audio magazine, and this next story is going to take us to a place we've never been before. Yep, we're going to KZMU's Thai Bureau. Um, is that what we're calling it? <laughs> yeah, made up of the one former KZMU news reporter, Justin Hagenbottom. To be clear, you know, we don't technically have a Thai Bureau, though I'm sure no one was believing us anyway. Justin currently works for an international publication called The Irrawaddy, where he's doing a weekly newscast on conflict and culture related to Myanmar. And he reported a story for us from northern Thailand, where he's stationed, and where a lot of Burmese migrants are. And when he first got there, he came across something he knew we would think was interesting. A community radio station. Yeah, and what supports a neighborhood quite like community radio? It's a place to share stories, music, and complaints. That ability to connect through a common language is especially important for new arrivals. As Justin reports from northern Thailand, a community of Burmese migrants are staying connected through their own radio station. Tsai Long is sitting behind a mic in a small studio in Chiang Mai. He's a volunteer DJ at MAP Radio. MAP stands for Migrant Assistance Program. The station is run by migrants from Myanmar next door. They're mostly Shan an ethnic minority living near the Thai border. Tsai Long started working at the age of nine in Shan State. It's a poor, semi-autonomous region. Rebel armies have been fighting the central government and military for decades there. It's where most of the opium in Myanmar also comes from. The conditions force a lot of Shan to flee for better opportunities. Tsai Long went to Thailand when he was just 15 to work. He's showing me photos of him when he arrived, planting broccoli. Thailand relies heavily on migrant workers like Tsai Long. So here in Thailand, it was estimated that at one point pre-COVID, migrant workers combined were contributing over 6% of the GDP to Thailand. That's Brom Press. He's director of the MAP Foundation, the nonprofit that runs this radio station. Many Shan are stateless. They don't have a passport, so they come to Thailand illegally. And the threat of deportation opens them up for exploitation. Those working in construction or agriculture could be paid a tenth of Thailand's minimum wage, earning less than a couple dollars a day. Some people who had just migrated freshly had the broker take them, and they went and picked strawberries in Chiang Mai, and then the broker told them what the new rate was to be paid, and they didn't accept, and the broker basically said, well, you either accept it or you get deported. Getting deported can be especially dangerous now. 
the military ruled Myanmar brutally for much of its time since independence from the British. In the 2010s, there was a slow transition to democracy. Free elections were held, ceasefires were brokered with many of the ethnic armies. Then in February of 2021, after the military's proxy party lost badly in the election, a junta retook control. The country is now in a state of civil war. That's a recent bombing run by Myanmar jets filmed from the Thai border and posted to social media. Press says the fighting and the economic collapse since the coup have pushed more people across the border. Once the coup started up and there was violence and there was greater economic impact because of that, I think a lot more people who wouldn't have otherwise migrated have done so. MAP runs a hotline for legal complaints of migrants, and they use the radio station to help spread information on labor rights under Thai law. Here's another DJ at the station. He's volunteered there since 2005. He says he gives advice on navigating the country's bureaucratic maze for work permits and legal residency. But DJs like him don't only give legal advice. They also broadcast Burmese music, like this often requested song. Here's press again. Uh, a lot of it is music because migrants don't have a lot of time to entertain themselves or money. So free radio is great and they're able to make requests for songs and make requests for friends elsewhere or something like that, hoping that they hear it just like anywhere else in the world. Tsai Long heard MAP Radio's broadcast during his early days in Thailand. He was so grateful to hear a familiar language that years later he decided to become a DJ, to give back to others in his situation. Now he has a program where he talks about life lessons that can be learned through the daily lives of migrants in Thailand. One of those is the importance of community, especially in foreign lands. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. That was a profile of Migrant Assistance Program Radio, a community radio station whose motto is Voices Without Borders. It was put together by Justin Higginbottom. You are listening to Great Tape from KZMU News. Our theme is Hello from the Neighborhood. Sometimes the places we live accidentally turn us into community activists. That's certainly the case for Marlene Huckabee. She'd been living in Poverty Flats, also known as Spanish Valley, for the better part of two decades when she heard about some surprising plans for the lot next to hers. Marlene tells us about it. Marlene Huckabee. I live at Sunny Acres Lane, Moab, Utah, the very north edge of San Juan County, and I've lived here since 1994. Uh, well, my son lived here. He moved here too soon. I didn't get any to finish raising him. And he worked on the river, and he worked at Potash, and he did. He lived on people's back porches on a rug and, and all that kind of stuff. So I came to visit one time. He said, I want to take you up and show you this area. I want to show you the dump area. And I looked, and I walked up on this ridge, and I looked. I could not believe what I was seeing. I want to live here. This is where I'm going to end up. 
So we had a realtor and she lived a few places and they were all in subdivisions. And I've always lived in subdivision. I didn't want it. I said, isn't there an old farmhouse or something, you know, out of the way? And she's, well, there's this one, but it's really, really, really bad. <laughs> so I said, well, just show me. So we drive out here to Sunny Acres and there are trailers and broken down cars and refrigerators and freezers and and this wasn't here and that wasn't there. It was an old tar shack. And I walked around the property and I looked at the views and I thought, I can, I can see this. I visualize this. And there's still junk. I mean, I look like a hippie chick, which I'm not, but uh, I kind of like the stuff. <laughs> like my little doodads, my tree, you know, the face, and, and that tree died, and I couldn't bear to cut it completely down, so I have stuff hanging on it, and I have prayer uh, flags on that fence, because I like prayer flags, and I wish for good things. <laughs> the view, the stars at night, the Milky Way just comes over here, Big Dipper is always right there, and uh, the quiet. Uh, the birds, I have tons of birds, I have bunnies. Sunny Acres is the county line. People on that side are in Grand County, and I'm in San Juan. And so I'm the, f the furthest north um, San Juan. They call us the stepchild, you know. You know, we've had a lot of issues on Sunny Acres, lots of flooding, lots of other things. And then next door is where the all the big thing about loves mm -hmm. and of course I've never been political I've never been a, a fighter like that but I I've been fighting the battle when I was talking to the realtor I said who owns the property next door and she said uh, school trust land Oh, well, that's great. I, I mean, I like schools. I wouldn't mind a school there. Um, never in my wildest did I think a Loves would go in there or a gas station. A Loves is about the worst scenario that I can think of. Do you know what it consists of? 50 bays for trucks to sit and run all night long. 90 parking spots for regular cars. A sit-down restaurant a drive-through restaurant, oh, and a convenience store. A lot of stuff. You know, yelling on the weekend, at night. How safe is it for me to live here alone? It will change my whole existence. We formed a coalition with some of the neighbors, not my close ones, but the ones over further, and people in Pat Creek, just so that we had some kind of a organization to try to um, go to the council meetings and talk with some knowledge and sense. And believe me, all the people on the coalition are way more savvy than I am, and but I, I can stand up and talk. <laughs> And I know what I'm dealing with, you know, right next door. I guess we've tried to, when we've gone before the council, tried to, you know, appeal to their, their human side of how would you feel 
If your mother or grandmother lived next door to a Loves, how would you feel about that? How would you feel um, if you lived next door to it? Some people say, oh, I don't care. Some of my neighbors don't care. They don't care. I care. I live in my yard and I'm not going to move. No way. It's just, I'm too rooted here. I don't want to leave. Go pine or someplace else. And, and how can you do that in Moab? You know, if you leave, you can't afford to come back. Oh, and by the way, I just got approved. I'm on the uh, San Juan Library Board now. Because I want to be connected, even though my heart really is in Moab. And I love our library. But um, I like to have some connection with San Juan. If I'm going to battle them, I want to be part of them. So that's my, my gig. It snows and I shovel the sidewalk. I usually buy enough food that I'm not going to starve. <laughs> I've got stuff stashed so I won't starve. I cook. I won't be walking to town. Uh, <laughs> in the future, I know because I've seen the layout of, have you seen the stuff they want to do? It's going to be really nice really nice. So we'll have a bus someday, but a lot of this is probably 20 years out. I think I'll be in the other place by then. <laughs> I hope. We'll be moving on. Yeah, that, that'll be my move. <laughs> and I've already got my lot over there. So I know where I'm moving next. So when you said, you know, I'm never moving, you need it. <laughs> yeah, until I feet first <laughs> or head first. <laughs> Marlene Huckabee in Spanish Valley. Emily, I can't believe that we're almost to the end of our audio magazine. I know, but there's one more story, right? Yes. And I think it's an important one on our theme. There are people who live in our neighborhoods who we might not always consider. That's because being unhoused can marginalize you, keeping you out of traditional community. The local homelessness coalition keeps data on Moab's unhoused population, and they say they interact with around 40 to 50 folks who are homeless or at imminent risk of becoming homeless every single month. There are many organizations trying to make homelessness rare, brief, and non-recurring in our community, but it happens to people for all sorts of reasons. And it's something that Wynne Bloodworth understands. He's the homeless outreach coordinator for Moab Solutions. Here he is. On some tape. You can see how beautiful this area is, yeah. especially in the summer. And it's going to dramatically change here in a minute. Okay. So it looks like I, maybe someone's gone through this. Yeah, I was going to say, it looks. Or the wind, it was very windy. Oh, yeah, you're right, it was. So this is what we pulled out okay. of this camp down here. You can see part of the camp, see the treehouse. Yep. Have you been down here before? No. All right, again, that's Wynn from Moab Solutions. You can hear the infamous founder of that nonprofit, Sarah Melnikoff, on the tape, too. And we're speaking at a homeless camp alongside the Mill Creek Parkway. It's pretty well hidden behind thickets of brush. There are no residents here right now. It's the middle of the day, and Moab Solutions is actually in the process of cleaning it up. Just a few days ago, this place was pretty cluttered. This is, it still looks horrible, but this here is clean compared to what it was. Wow. I kind of like the ingenuity of what they did here. This yeah. is pretty cool, you know. That's the thing, I mean, homeless people are people too. They're ingenious, they, they're creative, yeah. you know. That right. Everything that 
that we are, they are too. We're all the same, you know? Do you mind describing it? Yeah, so we are in a homeless camp that's obviously been here for years and years. Uh, there's a fort in the trees that were built with pallets and scavenged wood. Mm -hmm. I like this ladder, it's pretty cool. It is cool. Uh, made out of whatever the local wood and stuff. They even use barbed wire, like the barbed wire that cut the fence yep. over there. Mm -hmm. They use that to wrap up. Uh, There's barbs on there. Mm -hmm. So one thing about a camp like this is I understand that you might need a place to sleep and you need some shelter and all that. But this has become, this is almost like a homeless square where people come and hang out and drink and use and party and make a mess and bring stuff. And there's fights. A uh, young lady was beat up in the woods over here. You really know. badly. And that was from drinking. And there was at least three people there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's dangerous that way. Lots of people using, drinking, partying, whatever. You can find needles, you can poke yourself. Yeah. It becomes a real hazard. It's almost like living in a dump. Wynn wants to make it so people don't have to seek shelter in these types of camps with all their potential dangers. He and founder Sarah make up the team at Moab Solutions now. Wynn himself cuts a pretty interesting figure. I think it's because he's so tall, combined with a very calm demeanor. So someone called me a homeless advocate the other day and introduced me to another person that was homeless. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of like that, so I looked up what a homeless advocate is. I'm not quite a homeless advocate, because I'm not, like here it says, uh, you know, with policies and programs and local, state, and federal levels, I'm not doing that. I'm on the street with the homeless people. But like it says, working with people experiencing homelessness to bring about positive changes, you know, and that's kind of what I'm doing, you know. Um, and the positive change, like I said before, can just be being their friend and then pointing them in the right direction when they, they know there's someone there for them. Wynn's job basically is to get to know all the folks experiencing homelessness in town and show up for them, find out what they need. That could be temporary shelter, drug or alcohol rehabilitation, medical care, job training. Wynn and Sarah are connected to all the social service agencies in Moab that together help pull folks out of the dark. Can you walk us through your typical day? Yeah, so usually when I start, I go around town to different places where I know there's camps or different places where people, homeless people hang out and check in with them, say hi to them, you know, use their name, socialize with them a little bit, see if they're doing okay. And some days, like I'll go to the soup kitchen at the church and meet people there. And then when it's done, they give me leftover soup in little containers that I can bring to people. So on Thursdays I do that. I go to the library and different hangouts where people are and bring them food and check in with them and see if they're okay. And I also walk around and look for new camps in different areas. You know, one day a week I'll go behind the jump park or another day I'll come here or I'll go out to another place and go walking around and see if there's any new people that need some help or need anything or see if they're okay. Word of mouth has kind of gotten out about what I do and people will point me out, you know, there's Wynn, he'll, he's got a sleep bag for you if you need one or he'll help you, you know. Wynn's been on the job now since fall 2022. And this street level outreach he's practicing can be really effective. He's the coordinator, the personal navigator to resources that can be overwhelming to interact with. There's services that will help homeless people. 
and a lot of those are funded by grants and things and so then they have rules that they have to follow I think a homeless person when they go into a place like that you know they're asked what's your name what's your social you know are you single married you have addiction problems and they ask them a whole bunch of personal questions and they can be off put by that you know and I think I have an advantage because I don't have to do that you know and I, I reach out to them because it's like the society asks those people to come come to society and we'll help you and then they grill them with a lot of questions and give them a lot of rules and standards to follow or whatever but uh I like to go to them and then they're more comfortable once they get to know me and I get to know them and then I can help them and point them in the right direction to different resources when they're ready or when they ask and sometimes I'll ask open new questions and instead of me saying you know why don't you get off the street? Why don't you get a job? Why don't you do this or whatever? I'll say, well, you know, what do you want to do? You know, what, three months from now, what do you want to see yourself doing? And then let them answer that. And then it's their own idea. And then I'll come back to them later and say, well, how's that going with getting your glasses? Or how's that going with your social security card? You know, and, uh, and then when they express what they want to achieve or what they might want to be or where they might want to be in three months, I just follow up with it, with their own ideas and point them in the resources. You know, what you... You can, get here, you can go over here and get your social security card, or you can go here and get a phone and you can, you know. There are a lot of reasons people might become homeless. Loss of a job, an unsafe relationship, maybe addiction issues. For the majority of folks experiencing it in Grand County, it's situational, meaning they've just encountered a bad circumstance or maybe a series of them. Wynn says he totally gets it. He experienced homelessness in Florida off and on for 10 years. And sometimes they were really great and I had part-time work or, you know, different ways to make money, you know, hustling, nothing illegal, but, you know. And then there was times where I had nothing, and, and it was horrible. And, you know, raining, wet, bad weather, mosquitoes, hungry, tired, dirty, you know, sometimes it was really awful. Can I ask how you were able to become housed? Yeah, so I think part of it was is I was tired of being homeless. And then Catholic Charities in Miami uh, I heard that they would buy you a bus ticket if you had someone on the other end to receive you. And I had been going to the library, and a cousin of mine in Utah friended me, or somehow we came, became friends on Facebook, and I told her my situation. So we put it together, and my family said they put me up. So Catholic Charities bought me a $300 ticket, gave me $20 cash, and put me on a bus that took three days. Yeah, twenty dollars doesn't last long in, on the Greyhound, but uh, I got here and my family put me up. And thirty days later, I got a job. I started working and slowly picked myself up. It was a break that he says he needed and was ready for at the time. His work now as a homeless advocate—it's full circle for him. Kind of is, <laughs> yeah. There's more to that full circle than you can even see right sure. now. Wynn <laughs> and Sarah at Moab Solutions navigate a myriad of challenging situations. As the nonprofit says on its website, between them, the Multicultural Center, plus other nonprofits, churches, and agencies, they're all cobbling together responses to needs where services might not yet exist. And Wynn is on the street level of that effort. Homeless people, I think, are lonely and they feel ostracized, like people don't understand them, looked down on. Uh, and I think that can mess with their mental health. So I just try and be their friend and try and fill in that hole or whatever, you know. When I was homeless, I never thought about that much, that angle. But um, I do remember thinking I'd like to just put a sign up and say, talk to me, you know, just because I was 
lonely. Well, you know what's great is since I've been working here, we've helped lots, a dozen people maybe mm -hmm. get home mm -hmm. or rehab or resources or nursing home or hospital, yeah. you know, recovery. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of people we've helped. And when I started, I was really busy and now I'm not as busy because of that. Oh, the transient um, homeless are going to come through soon. Yeah, it's going to pick problem. up. It's going to pick up. Okay. And I'm excited, not yeah. that there's going to be homeless people, but I have a positive thing to do. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy helping people. Um, one quick story about yesterday when I went to the soup kitchen. Mm -hmm. A guy, he came up to me and he said, um, I heard you're a homeless advocate. <laughs> and then he pointed to a couple of people who pointed me out. And he said, they told me you're a homeless advocate. And so we just started talking or whatever. And he said he could use a sleeping bag. So... I got him a sleeping bag and I brought it back to him and he says, they told me you were homeless for a long time. He's, I said, yeah, and I was homeless for almost 10 years in Miami, in Florida. And he says, so you understand, right? I said, I do, I really do, you know? And uh, I think that gave him more comfort. You can find Wynn Bloodworth doing street level outreach for Moab Solutions, likely along the Mill Creek Parkway. The nonprofit's advocacy work is funded through community donations. Find out more at moab-solutions.org. listening to Great Tape, an audio magazine from KZMU News. Our theme was Hello from the Neighborhood. Our sponsors are Community Rebuilds, a Moab nonprofit organization whose mission is to build energy-efficient housing, provide education on sustainability, and improve the housing conditions of the workforce through an affordable program. We are also supported by the Housing Authority of Southeastern Utah. HASU provides affordable housing options to moderate and low-income families in Grand and San Juan counties. And we have support from Backspace, a Moab-based business specializing in low-impact residential pools and spas designed for the desert southwest. Thank you, Backspace, Community Rebuilds, and the Housing Authority of Southeastern Utah. Contributors were Sherry Zollinger, Pete Sands, Justin Higginbottom, and me, Emily Arnson. Our cover art, which you can see on our website and social media, is by M.A. Russell. Featured interviews include K.J. Nielsen, Ron Drake, Brittany Tucker, Didar Charles, and Marlene Huckabee. We also heard from Carrie Valdez, Meg Flynn, Wynn Bloodworth, and the fine patrons of the Grand County Public Library. Conversations with Jesse Magleby and Sarah Melnikoff also helped inform stories on this program. This episode was produced by Molly Marcello and KZMU News. Thanks to the staff and board of the station for supporting this weird and wild audio storytelling project. And to you, listener, thank you. The name Great Tape is, of course, aspirational. And we do hope we brought some good, even great stories and sounds to your ears. Until next time.